Welcome everybody to Boys in the 90s Podcast. My name is Nate. And I'm Bob. And Bob, on this amazing comic book filled episode, I'd like to get this kicked off. We're looking at some superhero films that were released in the 90s. We're bypassing the commercial this day just to get on with the memories and the the nostalgia that surrounds the 90s in the comic book world. If you can lead off with something that really kind of led you to the comic book movies of the day, what what would that be, you think? So what gave me the idea to talk about this was I finished watching She-Hulk last night <laughs> on the on Disney Plus, And it got me thinking because I knew we were talking about doing a show today and finished She-Hulk. And I'm like, that was interesting. And then I'm I'm seeing the commercials for the black for Black Adam and the hype surrounding that. And then I follow a lot of people on Twitter, superhero news, and I'm in that the cult of hashtag restore the Snyderverse. And I have watched all four hours of Justice League several times. And what more than that got me along this idea was kids growing up today are so used to this Marvel Cinematic Universe and to a very smaller extent, the DC Cinematic Universe. And they don't know the barren wasteland and mishmash of quality that was the 90s as when it came to comic book and superhero movies. And as comic book readers of the early 90s wanting an X-Men movie or always dream casting for some other superhero movie. So I thought, why not? We'll cherry pick your heavy hitters from the 90s and just reminisce and recall what a different time it was if you wanted superhero flicks and you were a kid in the 90s. So I'll lead it off with and I'll toss it to you. Just pick your brain what you remember. Got to start. So, you know, in the 70s and early 80s, you had Superman with Christopher Reeve. Uh, Superman 1 is a great movie. Superman 2 is not bad. But then you kind of hit Superman 3 and 4, which are terrible, but fun in their own way. And then there's nothing. And then in 89, you've got Batman. I mean, that movie is part of the reason I'm a Batmaniac today, along with with Adam West. <laughs> Can't do an Adam West impression. <laughs> and so I thought, well, let's start it off with 1992's Batman Returns. So what do you remember about, did you see Batman Returns in the theater? What are, what are your earliest reminiscings on, on Tim Burton's 1992, some would call gothic masterpiece, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, it, the, the first Batman came out in 89 and uh, it was actually a family event, which was kind of odd for us at the, uh, at my household, we didn't really watch very many R-rated movies, and I forget if that was R or PG thirteen. It was PG thirteen, the first one. Okay, so it was still I was still young though, and my parents, you know, we wanted to watch it all together, just make sure it's not too crazy. There were some scenes that were a little bit nuts, you know, as far as like the way that he contorted <laughs> into Joker and <laughs> come on, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, you know, coming off of that movie and having, what, three years in between the two, 
Um, it was released in uh, in mid June of '92, so it was kind of a summer event, which worked out great for being out of school. I think did we go and see that originally? No, I went and saw it with my old man, who I'm pretty sure okay. fell asleep through it, like he did through all the movies we went to go to. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I just you know I love the. Of course, uh, directed by Tim Burton. So we talked about him on a previous episode with Edward Scissorhands. His stylistic touch. Oh, well, he worked on the original Batman as well. But yes, but we just happened to talk more about it on Edward Scissorhands. Um, his stylistic touch is always a nice visual effect add into every kind of movie that he's in outside of Alice in Wonderland, in my opinion. But as far as, you know, the, the entire package, you get the Danny Elfman score, you get the Tim Burton visual effects. Um, you they have the wonderful Danny DeVito on as Penguin. You have Michael Keaton returning as Batman. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, my friend. Yes, that's true. I have so many... I'm like a forward-progressing kind of guy. Not to say that I don't, I don't go back to these movies... But a lot of these kind of fictional stories are kind of one and done with me. So I don't watch them too often, but his movies are very memorable as being Tim Burton. And so I I remember them pretty well as far as what they meant to me. The franchise sort of blossomed, as it were, into the video games and the sequels afterwards. So everything kind of ran like a train whenever Batman Returns was released after that. Because Batman Returns opened up the world so much after the first Batman came out. So I was really impacted by that addition to the franchise. I do, for some reason, remember watching this movie at your house. I think, uh, I want to say we were 11 or 12. It might've mm-hmm. been around your birthday cause it was a sleepover. And I remember watching it with Nick. Oh yeah. Last name, not told, but <laughs> I, so I saw this in the theater uh, when it came out opening weekend, I was very excited about it. And if you want to know, and I know this off the top of my head, I'm not looking at anything. The release date is June 19th, 1992. And I saw it in the theater and I was, I mean, I was a little fat kid that loved Batman, you know, anything and everything. I had the toys. I, you know, I, I watched the old Adam West TV show and I was really excited when this came out and looking forward to it. And then you go and you watch the movie. And as a kid, you're like, what just happened? Because, and now I've watched it recently. Me and Nate are different. Like, I'll go back and I'll watch these movies and, you know, try and try and find that warm, fuzzy feeling that, that I had the first time I saw it. And I was watching this movie as an adult. And I'm like, this is dark. This is, there's a lot of things I didn't catch in this movie as a kid that I was like, wow. I mean, Penguin bites a guy's nose off. And he has some choice phrases, which I will not repeat here, you know, family show. But as an adult, I'm watching it and I'm like, God, this is dark. And I won't say weird because I hate using that word. But it's an interesting movie in that it's called Batman Returns. And I'll be honest, Batman's really not in it all that much. Yeah, It's mainly about Catwoman and the Penguin and... Mm -hmm. Say what you will about, you know, a grown woman falling from a window and surviving and being you know, resuscitated by cats, because that's basically what happens. Licking her. <laughs> Licking her, right. <laughs> but, I mean, 
not to sound redundant using this word, but it's dark. I mean, they throw the baby off the bridge in the zoo and it floats into the sewer and he's raised by circus freaks and he <laughs> right. wants to like steal and murder the first born children of every famous Gothamite. Like it is, it's bonkers. Yeah. And again, Batman's really not in it. And I won't get into the debate here because this is not about comic books. And I don't I don't even think Nate cares about this. Yeah. Batman kills people in this movie, just like he kills people in the first movie. I mean, he he sets a guy on fire with the afterburner from the Batmobile. Mm -hmm. Visually, this movie is striking. They filmed it mostly inside sound stages. Um, that's real snow, real breath, real penguins. Um, if you've taken the Warner Brothers tour, they point out the big. Uh, soundstage where they built the because the first movie was filmed in England and this one's filmed in Burbank where the studio is and they point out how big the studio is and what they had to do to keep it that cold and keep the snow from melting uh, visually this movie's gorgeous it has all that Tim Burton German expressionism in it and it's just drenched in it I don't like when they shoehorn a love interest in for Batman, but that's my own personal opinion. That's that's a huge beef with me because I just don't think it needs to be there. Dan, again, Danny DeVito is the Penguin. I came in and as a kid, I'm used to seeing the Adam West Batman. So I'm I'm imagining the little guy walks funny, goes wah, 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 and it chain smokes. Oswald Cobblepot. <laughs> yeah. And next thing you know, he's running for mayor, which is a direct lift from the TV show, by the way, I'll have you know. Mm. and it's man it's again it's like batman's barely in it and it ends like the first movie basically does in a way like penguin dies catwoman no one really knows what happens to catwoman until you watch the end a little head pops up so not my favorite batman movie and honestly this is one that i wouldn't show i mean my son really wants to see it he's very curious about it this is not one I, I would show the kids quite yet, just because there's a little too much to it. And I will say on the plus side for this movie, it does feature a really good Susie and the Banshee song, which we we talked about in a previous show, Face to Face. It's a good, good track. Um, it's the only song in the movie, you know, unlike the first Batman movie that had the, the print soundtrack. This mm -hmm. you get Danny Elfman's score and then you get Face to Face by Susie and the Banshees. So overall, I thought we'd lead off with that one because that movie, it has it has this it, there's two extremes. You either love it or you hate it. Right. Um, and of course, it had the funny story with this flick is it had the McDonald's tie in for the Happy Meal toys and they had all these Happy Meal and they, you know, they send it out and then the movie comes out and, pe and parents take their kids to see it. And they're like, this is terrible. And they like want to recall all these Happy Meal toys. So that was just the first one I picked. I thought we'd lead off with that because it's 1992. And, you know, this isn't going to be one of our long, prolific episodes. So we're not going to get into the 1990 Captain America movie, which is terrible, but fun in its own right. Mm -hmm. If you've never seen it, I believe it's on YouTube. You can watch it for free. Yeah. Um, back on, back on, before we get off of uh, Batman Returns, sure. like I would say... It, it's weird like i don't know if it's the nostalgia talking about it or just the fact that it's the most comic book of the batman without going too far in my opinion but batman returns probably is one of my more like light movies of of the batman series only because 
later on the Batman movies became super serious and super realistic and super like as if Batman is alive and breathing today amongst us. <laughs> But Batman Returns still felt like it was straight out of a, a pulp comic that was just made for, you know, this guy's a detective and he's, you know, kind of about the town. Like, he's not in the movie as much, you say, but he's still, it's still very much the Batman world. And I I think I just like that version of the Batman was just the fact that, and even later in uh, that year, in 92, we get the animated series going. So that's on TV, it's not a movie, but in the same sense, it's like it kind of kick-started that, that uh, Batman craze, I feel. Like, the first movie had its Batman moments as far as, like, you know, pushing it out there like a serial and everything else. But I felt like Batman Returns really kind of pushed, like, I don't think a Batman and Robin or a, a Batman Forever would exist without, you know, the Returns kind of getting the momentum going. Well, no, and and well, Batman Forever exists the the way Batman Forever is exists because Warner Brothers had such a bad reaction to Batman Returns. Not really. You know, they I think what they did was they were gonna bring Tim Burton back for the third one, and or they didn't want him to come back for the third one, and he was hemming and hawing, so they let him go do Ed Wood, you know, to keep him busy, mm-hmm. and then they just put he has a producer credit on Batman forever. And it was their way of like, thanks Tim, but no, we'll let someone else handle this from now on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for my personal take, I mean, I was only, I was into Batman to the degree of, I would say Batman returns. And then once we get like the later ones in the nineties, like Batman forever and Batman, or I'm sorry, Batman. What am I thinking? Batman, Robin and Batman forever. I think I kind of picked up more of that, you know, momentum, like, okay, this is another Batman movie kind of, kind of feel. But I mean, I didn't, as far as owning a Batman comic book, did you, did we have the Batman comics at the time or were we just sort of taken in by the movies and the the franchise itself? Cause we didn't mm-hmm. have a Batman show yet. No, I got, like I said, I got into it from the Adam West show. Okay. The 80, the 89 movie. Once the animated series came out, that's a that was appointment viewing for me every afternoon. Yeah. And then I have the entire series on Blu-ray because that's some of the best storytelling that you can get out of quote unquote children's programming. But mm-hmm. I mean they still hold up today as far as the story writing. Yeah. Well yeah, um, did you were you gonna follow up with one? I kinda cut you off at the at that Batman returns. Oh no, that's fine. I I, I figured we'd just I, I was cherry picking yeah, the, through the decade, like not, we'll start with '92. Then I want to segue to 1994's "The Crow," which I know we talked about on our soundtrack episode because it does, in fact, have one of the best soundtracks of the '90s, if not ever. Mm-hmm. So, toss it to 1994's "The Crow," starring Brandon Lee. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, just sometimes, the crow could bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. Yeah, very memorable. I I was um again I was more focused on I guess the graphic um 
perception of this character and the way that it came out on the page. I've only seen a handful. I never actually bought the the novel nor the the series, but at the time it came out, it was much more just about, okay, we have another um, superhero movie coming out because at the time, like Bob said, we didn't have the Marvel comic universe just yet and established by, you know, Stan Lee wasn't showing up in every random uh, release no. here and there. And it wasn't a big deal up until a certain time in the, in the 2000s. So in the nineties, it was very much like kind of get what you get, what you get, you know, as far as, your superheroes of the nineties. Like we didn't get Dick Tracy until the nineties when that was like, what did we say last time? It was like 15 years or something like that. To Yeah. It took a uh, while to get that movie made. Yeah. It was sitting in production hell. So it's, uh, there's tons of these movies that came out in the nineties, like the crow. Um, I don't know about the backstory of the crow, but I, I don't know how long it took for them to flip it around into a movie, but it was definitely a really cool I don't know. It was an indie alternative time for, <laughs> for kids that liked the goth feel and it, it really had like their own superhero. Um, well, I think this is the visuals of this movie. I think for teens and older, older teens of, of our generation, this is, this movie is a, a, a touch point for us because if you were our, you know, if let's see, we, I was, I want to say 12, 13-ish when this movie came out. If you were that age and you saw the trailer and then you saw the flick, it opened the door to that world of goth, as as it will henceforth be known. I'm constantly having to explain to middle schoolers what the difference between goth and emo is and how they're not the same thing. <laughs> That's like the new thing right now, because it all kind of it blended like so well over the time. Right. Yeah, it's all emo. <clears throat> so you've got the crow in 94 and it just opens up to it's the black. As far as the backstory, it's based off a series of comics, which you can find in a, in graphic novel form. Now I own, uh, I own a, the complete crow series in hardcover. And if you read the book itself, it's steeped in 1980s post-punk, right? Some of the the issue titles take names from Joy Division songs. Uh, the Crow character is a is a mishmash of Peter Murphy from Bauhaus, Robert Smith from The Cure. There are song lyrics put in as like you know word bubbles in issues. So it's already got this baked in, dressed in black, white face black lipstick it's already got that feeling to it and then as far as how true it stays to the source material the crow is actually pretty accurate to the source material you know some story elements here or there like this character is different or this character dies in a different way what have you but it stays real close to the source material and that made me like it even more but just the visuals of it i mean brandon lee in that role with that makeup in that costume is it is burned into at least my mind as something and i have to get my thesaurus out and find a better word than iconic but for now i will say it is iconic for a a young teen growing up in the early 90s and 
having that be that first exposure to the darker side of life, black clad lifestyle. And I know we went on and on about the soundtrack because that was part of what opened the door for me was you see the movie and these songs are linked with these scenes in the movie. Like when he puts on the makeup for the first time and you see him burn by the cure is on and it's indelible how those two are just intertwined. Same with he's hopping over rooftops and dead souls is on. It was that first exposure to, I want to wear lots of black and I want to wear makeup and (laughs) I just want to be sad because the crow, I mean, it's a, it's a love story in its essence. And the guy that wrote it, James, a bar has mentioned that, Part of the reason why he wrote it is his girlfriend or fiance died in a car wreck and it was a way of processing his grief because, you know, obviously he couldn't bring her back from the dead. So he takes that story and makes it into this thing with this guy that comes back from the dead to avenge something horrific that happened. So it's got that gothic romance element, too, which, again, if you wear lots of black and are a bit malcontent and maladjusted, it fits right into your life. No, Brandon Lee was a hottie with a body in the uh, <laughs> in the in the goth wear, I guess the the kids would say. Oh yeah, I mean, just you know, the anybody's looking for that kind of, I don't know. It's a striking figure, and the and I don't know how closely it looks like to the comic book, but pretty damn actually, pretty damn. Yeah, just the way that he pulled it off. I mean, good for him, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> Really inspired a lot of kids to try and be like a lot of fat kids try to squeeze into some plastic clothing like I did. Yeah, that was okay. Uh, so this is as 90s as it gets. The last year I dressed up for Halloween as a kid. Mm-hmm. The last year, oh, not the last, oh, the last year I went trick or treating as a kid. I dressed up as the crow. Yeah. And I looked nothing like him <laughs> except my face was kind of white. I have a picture of it floating around somewhere. Uh, I would love to make that the the show art, but I don't. <laughs> I, if I can find it before we post it, I'll make that the show art. That's awesome. Yeah, I I dressed mm-hmm. up as him as well at a time, and I tried to pull it off. But the funny thing is that I I think we came across some glow in the dark white face paint. So not only did I have like white kind of looking face paint, but it also glowed in the dark as you walked around. Ooh, so it spooky. It was you know. You know, it's probably the same idea. Like it, it just looked nothing like the crow, but his uh, the influence of the character was very interesting. The story is very Shakespearean and um, kind of you know based around almost supernatural things. So him being a superhero makes sense. Uh, I guess you know anything makes sense. I guess if you're a superhero, <laughs> you have like anything available to you. But um, I have to say that. You know, because I was a super fan like you, and I went on to buy like almost every DVD released. I was a big nut of the DVD commentaries, and Alex Proyas, the director, gave one of the worst commentaries I've ever heard on on a, on a movie. <laughs> it's it just was so boring, and I don't know what you know. It it was really a, a just a downer. But um, he went on to make Dark City, which is an amazing movie. He eventually made iRobot, so. You know, he he was a pr- prolific uh, at that that at, Audi commercial with the robots. The which one? <laughs> that Audi commercial with the robots. Did you do that one too? <laughs> no, that's iRobot, man. It was like an Audi commercial, but it had robots and Will Smith in it. Oh, I didn't. Okay, okay, I get, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> it was going over my head. A bit. I'm sorry. Yes, very good. 
Yeah. If you want to see, do a do a Google search, listeners out there. If you want to see a very 90s picture, and it's a picture of Brandon Lee in full crow makeup with his hair, but he's wearing an overcoat because they shot it. I think it was they shot it in the winter. So it's cold and it's rainy and it's wet. And he's standing there holding and he's playing a Game Boy. (laughs) It's such a cool picture. And it's just like, that's everything that was, you know, great about one of the, a lot of the things that made that decade great. Yeah. Um, But I would not certainly be who I was today. If I had not seen the crow, I would not be interested in a lot of the same things I am today. If I was not interested in the crow, and if you do ever get the chance, pick up a copy of The Complete Crow by James O'Barr. Um, I read it in like an hour. It It's brilliant. The art, I mean, it's not splashy art. It's all black and white. But the story, and if you know your post-punk and you know your Joy Division, then you'll pick up on a lot of the inside references that he makes in that story. I wouldn't surprise if Jared Leto tried to come back and play The Crow sometime <laughs> later. Oddly enough, I believe there is a Crow reboot happening. And if you're curious, I believe, if I've heard it correctly, Jason Momoa is the new Crow. What? As my as my <laughs> yeah. face scrunches up in, in the back of my head? <laughs> yeah, so more un- unrealistic expectations for us goth boys to live up to. Grief. Well, it's a good thing I'm, I'm bald and old, so I don't have to like <laughs> think about this. trying to be... Trying to be him. Even those of us that do go to the gym and listen to Nine Inch Nails know for damn sure we're not going to look like Jason Momoa. I'll just cut my my eyebrows into triangles as well. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Let me let me try to pick out one here because I'm looking at. Okay, go we're ahead. Looking at, go we're ahead. looking at a list, and it's um, we've talked about. Well, I'll skip over the ones that we've talked about. Maybe we'll come back around to them. Uh, the first one I, I would remember was Tank Girl. She'll be fun to break. I like Tank. Yeah, and now we saw, we saw it. We went and saw that in the theater. Yeah, we went and saw it in the theater. It's um, it was released in '95. It was starring Lori Petty, which I. I get confused with other actresses, but she was in a league of their own poetic justice and point break. Don't forget. She's also in Polly Shore's cinema tour de force in the army now. Okay, cool. Um, also, (laughs) I mean, if you say so, um, and then ice T plays like the dog character or one of the, one of the dog characters in the, the strange race of, of beings that are on whatever planet they're in. Isn't that, is it, is it that's Tank Girl is the movie where he bears a very striking resemblance to one Al Jurgensen, doesn't he? <laughs> Probably, yeah, because he has he's got he like has the like dreadlocks and stuff. Yeah. yeah, he has piercings on his dog ears and stuff. It's uh-huh. really interesting. Uh huh. Just waiting for him to start singing every day is Halloween. <laughs> Around the time, like as a kid, it's I remember being a kid and just seeing a bunch of different like it, nothing was quite attainable yet. So like whatever you came across is what you came across. And like Tank Girl, I remember seeing a, a commercial for it and then I went to a comic book store maybe the next week or two and Tank Girl is like way up high on like the mature audiences shelf where you couldn't see it. And um I didn't quite understand what that was all about. I didn't understand like if it was uh, like suggestive in every way or 
or what. And I still I haven't really gone back to like really take a look. But I mean, I'm wearing a Gorillas sweatshirt right now. I just went and saw the Gorillas live. That uh, Jamie Hewlett, who does the artist artistry for Tank Girl, also does all the artistry for Gorillas. So prolific in his own right. Well, I do remember going to see this in the theater with you, and I mm. remember it because you were staying over at my house, and I believe it was you know we're going to go to the movies or something. Like my mom was dropping us off, and the choice was between Tank Girl and tommy boy and i remember leaving going like man we should have went to see tommy boy because i mean tank girl wasn't bad it was a little off kilter well it was it was fueled by everything that was surrounding it too so they had like um hole playing hole and bush on the the soundtrack and it was just like a lot of these you know movies that were in the 90s it's like to in order to drive the franchise they had like a killer soundtrack and then they let you into that movie going like oh this is going to be like a 90 minute you know music video or what are we in for like that's kind of of how i felt with the crow and with tank girl and a number of these because you're just like i don't know who these characters kind of are like you're getting thrown in you know to like these brand new superheroes in a way yeah and oddly enough i remember seeing the com- like commercials and trailers for these movies like just let's just say like the crow and tank girl and i remember seeing the trailers for them and of all places was usually during monday night raw oh yeah so like watching wrestling it's like go see tank girl and it was like this crazy like <laughs> two minute trailer and it's like off the wall and it's stimulus overload same with and i i distinctly remember seeing the the trailer for the crow during monday night raw Mm. and tank girl but i don't oddly enough tank girl i've only seen tank girl once i never went Mm -hmm. back and revisited it and i recall when i was a couple you know maybe a year or two older and i sat down and watched a clockwork orange for the first time not the last just the first time and seeing Malcolm McDowell come on screen, and I'm like, where have I seen this guy before? And I was like, Tank Girl. He's the old guy in Tank Girl. <laughs> yeah. But I've never gone back and revisited Tank Girl, and I've revisited a lot of bad 90s movies, and this one, no. <laughs> well, one of the biggest one of the biggest tracks on the soundtrack also incorporated a tank in its music video, which is Bjork's Ar- Army of Me. So there's like a bit of a tie-in with your MTV culture and you know, you feel like you feel like everything back then was like a stylish, a stylistic roller coaster because it was like, wow, cool. You know, like this is like pre everything being CG and, you know, manipulated and, and certain things were not green screen, green screen. They were more like on sets and everything. So there's a bit more of, everything being on the same level. And then as soon as CG kind of kicked in with more movies, everything was on like its own planet in a way. Like, so you kind of fake any little part of the movie that you wanted on screen. So that's why, I don't know. Like just it was, seeing some of these, it, like actually come to life on screen. It was kind of interesting and magical still sort of like a star Wars sort of feel where, you know, miniatures are still a thing. And um, I don't know. That's just my take on. And it was the 90s, so everything had to be extreme. <laughs> yeah, everything was extreme. Yeah, everything was over the top and loud. Yep. Lots of neon colors. Yep. Okay, so I'm going to switch back. We're going to stay in 1995 here. And 
we may stop with this one as far as picking from this group of films, but I wanted to bring this one to the dance because it's a movie you and I saw together, and that would be 1995's Batman Forever. And I distinctly remember we had just graduated eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I, yeah, I think we we left school on like a Wednesday or a Thursday. Everybody's like, what are you going to go do? Like, I'm going to go see Batman Forever. <laughs> nice. You know, I was still in that mode of it's a Batman movie. I'm super excited. Like Jim Carrey is all the rage. He's the Riddler. Okay. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones was two faced. I thought odd choice, but I was a, so being such a huge fan of the animated series. I loved the treatment they did with two face. Those are some of the best episodes, which is the big, bad horror of episodes. So I was, I was on board Val Kilmer. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Because he's been Jim Morrison right. and he's Iceman in Top Gun. Like, is is he going to pull it off? And I think I might have seen the trailer once for it. So I wasn't sure what I was going to get going into it. Mm-hmm. And I remember you and I walking from my house down to the Edwards Carousel, RIP. And <laughs> sit in the theater and watching it. And leaving going, I don't know what just happened. Yours is the greatest riddle of all. Can Bruce Wayne and Batman ever truly coexist? We'll find out today! <laughs> In a good way or a bad way? In a bad way. <laughs> because it was not Batman 89. Right. It really wasn't... Batman Returns. I mean, it was a complete tonal shift from Batman Returns. It was loud. It was over the top. Everything was neon for some reason. Mm-hmm. Not everything, but there was lots of neon. It hadn't gotten to the full camp of Batman and Robin yet. But you could see flickerings of it. It had some of that 60s TV showness to it. Yours is the greatest riddle of all. Can Bruce Wayne and Batman ever truly coexist? We'll find out today! But yeah, I left going, I'm not sure what just happened. And again, it's another Batman movie where they force a love interest into it. Because who's ever heard of Dr. Chase Meridian in the comics? She doesn't exist. And she's just kind of there. (laughs) And Robin is 25. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, 90s heartthrob Chris O'Donnell. Like, no, Robin's like a teenager, if anything. And he's trying to pull 18, you know, 17, 18. Like, no, dude, you're like 30. Like, that's not cool. And Tommy Lee Jones is two-faced. It's just, oh, God. Like, (laughs) Like, there's that moment in the very beginning of the movie where he's doing it with earnestness and sincerity and he's pulling from the two personalities of Harvey Dent and Two-Face. And it's good. And then in two seconds, it goes straight to over the top. And mm-hmm. it's, no, this is bad. And it was just, it was more cartoony. And it's grown on me with age. I've watched it with the kids recently. But in the 90s, though, I will say that movie was a juggernaut. I mean, it had tie-ins for it everything mm-hmm. like i i don't have them anymore but up until i mean my mid-30s 
Do you remember the frosted glasses you could get at McDonald's for a dollar? Yeah. And those are like the last one of the last things you could buy at McDonald's that were built right. Those things hold up. <laughs> I mean, I used to put my drinks in those glasses up until my early 30s before I lost them. Nice. And, you know, he had the McDonald's superhero burger. I don't know if you ever had that one. No, that was that one that you were talking about with the the larger bun. Uh-huh. Yeah, I haven't tried it. Pretty tasty. Yeah. Not something like a 12, 13-year-old should be eating that's not, you know, active and playing sports <laughs> instead of sitting on their duff and playing video games. <laughs> but that movie had an insane just merchandise lineup behind it. You got toys, video games, which none of them are good. I've played them all. Yeah. Had an arcade game. It had that soundtrack hype behind it, which I we touched a little bit about in our soundtrack episode. Yeah. But you had it had that monster soundtrack. And if you were alive in the summer of 1995, you could not escape the rolling boulder that was Kiss from a Rose by Seal. <laughs> I mean, it's just to this day you can't get away from it if if you ever watch the movie right but yeah no i i i left wanting but it's probably one of my, my you know my best some of my best 90s memories are just walking down to the, the carousel and seeing that movie with you it was it was fun but the remembrance of the yeah the actual going to see it is more um pronounced in my memory than the actual movie itself it's I'm I'm looking at scenes right now, like just to jog my memory, and I'm looking at an Annie Lennox inspired Riddler. <laughs> I'm looking at I'm looking at Chris O'Donnell looking like a like a young guy. Now the thing is, like I can suspend my my um, understanding of the of the culture or the or the the lore um, to to say like okay, I don't care like how old this guy looks, but. But honestly, when it gets, you know, thrown around to the point where like Riddler looks more cartoonish than the 60s Riddler did. Oh, yeah. Um, I just I didn't I didn't feel like I was all that invested in that character at that point because I was like, this guy is just off his rocker. I don't care really, you know, because he, he's almost like trying to upstage Batman on the screen. So like, what do you do with that? Do you um, like the jacket? It keeps me safe when I'm jogging at night. <laughs> Right. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Drew Barrymore and Debbie Mazar are Sugar and Spice, which I, I, why are they there? Like, is it just to return with some known characters from the, from the book? No, they were just, you know, Drew Barrymore was making her come back and I don't know. You know, it's like whoever they could find, like, just sort of ended up on screen. And the last thing I made a note about was the the shark fin Batmobile. <laughs> yes, yes. Because that was, it, although it was very striking at the time. I mean, and and it still kept with my ethos of let's keep everything as unbelievable as possible. This is a superhero comic book coming out of like the creative world of you know nothing. So anything is is possible on screen. But in the same sense, it's like if your movie is called Batman forever, like what is what's going on? Like who's, who's the center of the focus on. And then instead they had like three or four different main focuses, like to draw your attention away from Batman. So I don't know. Yeah. And this, this, this and Batman return started that trend where it was like, well, if one villain works, we need two. Yeah. Instead of just keeping it, you know, like Batman 89, or, I mean, I guess 
the 2022 Batman, which we won't talk about because no. I'm just sure that the executives, whoever whoever stays in the film industry for that long, they already know who Batman is, so they feel that everybody already knows who Batman is on screen. So they just sort of bypass the like the origin story and everything that's already been discussed in previous movies. They jump right into where is he today? What's the newest threat? And oh, we have a double threat, and oh, we have this other sidekick. So it, it just felt like the they were they were throwing a bunch of like fridge magnets at a <laughs> at a fridge, going like, I hope this one sticks. Yeah, I mean, I, as far as like the creative opportunities for like that that batmobile and like the what was the other the flying one oh the uh, batwing yeah the batwing i mean they made great toys but you know as far as being in a movie it just felt like it was a bit much like trying to fit everything into however long that movie was all right so yeah batman forever excellent movie i totally remember that if we can snowball into um batman and robin from there i mean not to make this too batman heavy but that is what we know after all to be the best in the 90s they are certainly synonymous (laughs) yeah i mean that was that would be like what uh, two years or so into high school that the batman and robin came out yeah i saw it summer this one i went to see by myself i'm pretty sure but that no you might have gone with me Hmm. this uh yeah summer of 97 so it would yeah it was going from sophomore to junior year yeah and again that was set out there almost like an mtv movie kind of feel where smashing pumpkins sort of entered in the the hot seat as like the the major (laughs) the major band to release a song for the movie smashing pumpkins has entered the chat yeah absolutely (laughs) um we we get uh, Batman and then Robin as well as well a new Batman George Clooney and then Chris O'Donnell ret- returns for his Robin role and then we also get Batgirl Batwoman uh, Alicia Silverstone how about Batperson Batperson <laughs> that's not Batgirl that's not very PC how about Batperson right right I think I, I think I just lifted a direct line from the movie oh yeah yeah okay. But it was, um, you know, for what it was, it was like sort of a dad joke telling uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, walking around saying something about ice every other second. Oh, the ice, the ice puns. They just don't stop. Yeah, which I mean, that was probably around that time where I was like, okay, you're Arnold Schwarzenegger in a suit. Like, you're not fooling me. Like, (laughs) you're just like, you're supposed to be playing the part. And honestly, like in every iteration of mr freeze i've seen it's always been some some kind of scrawny doctorish sort of character that may get his strength from this ice suit but it's more about keeping him alive or something um yeah they all it all kind of works that way yeah like it's it's keeps him alive more than it does anything but i mean that's also he gets powers right using powers powers using quote marks and then we get the uh the foxy uma thurman and her her poison bla- ivy blazing red hair is poisoning ivy <laughs> um controlling all the uh all the plant life but then the biggest thing and the biggest reason why i wanted to see it of course was that year we had to go through the um the uh, side story of bane breaking batman's back and yes so nightfall see- storyline yeah seeing bane on screen was sort of like one of those big you know check marks that you wanted to see as a fan of of the batman at the time and you know, to be honest, like I am kind of a, I don't know, laissez-faire sort of comic book fan in general. I really like artwork and I, I really like 
special editions of things like holograms and following a, a series from one book to the other and trying to just, it, it seemed like most superhero um, storylines sort of ended the exact same. So whenever something happened that was kind of outrageous, like uh, Superman dying or Batman breaking his back or something like that would come out of the nineties. Like it was a big deal whenever it actually entered in, you know, a, a movie and um, we actually didn't get to see that. <laughs> I don't, I don't believe in uh in batman and robin <laughs> no no the the, the pro yeah <clears throat> i was just thinking about this what makes the marvel universe good now for the most part and what is good about the crow and what's good about and go ahead and flame me or whatever about say batman v superman by Zack snyder is it stays close to its source material. And the problem is in the nineties minus the crow and maybe tank girl, but I'm not enough. I'm not familiar enough with the tank girl comics. No one stayed close to the source material. They would just write these stories and they put Batman in it. And in the comics, Bane is a very intelligent and I believe he's of some form of Spanish South American descent. So he speaks Spanish and he speaks English. And in this movie, they basically treat him like, I mean, Frankenstein's monster. He he just goes and like uses one word phrases. Was he like a pro wrestler? Or like he was. Yeah, he he was. And he's he's dead. Right. Um, The actor that played Bane in the movie is dead. Yeah. Um, And he's green for some reason. So. I was like Nate, I was excited to see Bane because I had followed the Nightfall storyline and I had some of the books, you know, I had the issues where Batman's back gets broken. And I was excited to see it. Like, are they really gonna do that? You know, like in Batman v Superman when I saw it, and you're watching like the last 20 minutes of it, and you're going, They're not gonna kill Superman, are they? Oh my god, they killed Superman. Mm-hmm. You're waiting for that moment because there's Bane, he's gonna do it. And it just he they kind of turned him into a, a sideshow joke. He's just poison ivy's muscle when really if you're staying closer to the source material, they would be working together or he'd be just doing his own thing. I love Uma Thurman as poison ivy. She's so campy. And between this and Pulp Fiction, uh, Uma Thurman was one of my 90s crushes for sure. Batgirl. Well, it's Batgirl. And again, though, this movie, it's the neon. It's the black lights. It's all these loud colors. It features a brief cameo by the recently deceased Coolio. Mm, yeah. And again, it had had the soundtrack. It had the toys. It had the cereal. You could get your Batman and Robin Pop-Tarts. <laughs> and it's just so, it's so just indicative of everything in the 90s is Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. Everything's tied in. There's merchandise aplenty. You couldn't get away from it. But the movie comes out. And it's just, it bombed and it's terrible. 25 years later, you can watch it. You can have a good laugh. It's fun. Like my kids like it because it's silly. But as a Batman fan, I. Yeah, when he busts out his uh, Batman Visa card. Or... <laughs> the bat, the Batman credit card. Yeah. Never leave the cave without it. And uh, in his nipple suit. <laughs> that was always, that was always very like, huh. And it's funny because. 
as as a fan of the character that I am, I left this movie with that 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 pall of disappointment hanging over me. And it's weird because when I saw the the Robert Pattinson Batman movie, I kind of left with the same feeling of like it's it's not what I wanted. I mean, I don't think anything is going to be like that's I guess coming down to to what my I mean, ultimate feelings on comic book movies in general are going to be there's always going to be a a a huge amount of disappointment because you're thinking like I I came to this realization while watching like the the first X-Men movie, right? It's that it's that thing that you absolutely love, you've dreamt about, you 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 could imagine in a certain way entirely on its own. Like well, you didn't even need the 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 movie, and then all of a sudden somebody puts out a movie of your thing that you were thinking about before, and you're like, I didn't have that in mind. I didn't have that in mind. I don't want that. You know, what I mean, it's it's already setting itself up for failure in a way, like most comic books movies do the the stories are way too long like to to encompass in a two-hour film that's one of my major gripes about comic book films in general they you mean like they try and cram too much into it exactly because it's like you know a comic book series like like what was the one nightfall like if you tried coming up with all of the little like you know pinpoints that are the bullet points that you want like touched on in a movie like to to match the story that you followed through issue after issue and try to get the artwork to match like the cinematography on screen. It's so it, 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 there's something about it that just doesn't allow, I don't know, a fan to fully like, I don't know, feel that, uh, that warmth or that completeness about finishing an actual series. I feel like, especially when it came to, you know, disconnects like the X-Men movie. Like if you think about, what your ultimate idea of the X-Men was mine was always with the animated series, like the Fox animated series. Like to oh, me, yeah. I thought because they have, you know, all the drawings at their disposal, they have all the models just so, you know, in a, in a certain time frame, there's certain things the characters did and did not do. But then whenever you put it into like a new, you know, new hands of like a, a film audience, then they have to like come up with this huge thing, this huge production. Let's get all these huge bands to be on the soundtrack. Let's get all these like visual effects to get in the way. It becomes so crazy. I don't know, like distracting in a way like that. You're just sort of like you're there for the ride. Like I feel with every iteration of comic book films. And that's just my, my dissertation on, I mean, (laughs) Like it's just too much lore, and like it, like there's too much time checking for inconsistencies with the, like whatever your ultimate feeling of like a thing, a, a you know, a, a thing should be, and that's it's too bad because. But there's other times like I got into um, comic books. Well, I mean, I guess you could call them comic books or visual or what is it, adult novels or not graphic novels. novels? Graphic novels. <laughs> adult novels. <laughs> I mean, that's certain something things, else. Certain things are a little bit more adult than others, but um. Like graphic novels, like I really love this one called Transmetropolitan, which is like a sort of cyberpunk look at the future and what it could come in become. And if you follow that character around, it's like I don't want to see anybody trying to play this on screen because it's too like it's it's such itself like on the page that you don't want it to like get you know mistranslated into something else that you know what I mean like becomes like a, another memory for somebody else later on down the line. 
and it's like it's like playing telephone through the eras, you know. And I'm sure like the fans of '60s Batman were looking at the same thing as Batman and Robin, going like, "What did you do to our show?" <laughs> because <laughs> because now you're full of like neon lights and you know, um, I don't know. But uh, you you just have to like come into an open mind, I suppose, with every one of these. But but that's very hard to do whenever you pass the years along and you go like, well. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1 wasn't, like, number three or, or vice versa or, you know, I mean, and like, there's so many comparisons that get in the way that it's, like, you can't even enjoy the new thing that's out because you're you're always thinking about, eh, it's not like that or it's not like how it, you, you know, like, I don't know how it. I think I get where you're going. Yeah. There's too much, there's too much <laughs> expectation, like, basically with comic book films. So it's, like, that's why... That's why I hardly ever tried to like hang my hat on every Marvel character that came out with a new new show this in the past. I don't know however many. Um, it's been fourteen years since Iron Man. Okay, yeah. So honestly, I've seen two Marvel two Marvel <laughs> comic book superhero movies on the Marvel universe because I cannot follow every single character and what their whereabouts are and whether or not there's in, in, inconsistencies with each one year after year after year you know it's like i want to i want to remember iron man as iron man one and be like all right that's it because i know in iron man two then there gets to be like this whole nother like oh well it wasn't that way in iron man one i can't have the you know i mean like it just becomes it becomes personal at that point and if i think it for a certain personality like I think you can go into those and sort of like flush whatever your memories are and then hope for the best. And that's what this, that's why the MCU keeps rolling and, you know, people still keep going out to see these things. But honestly, like I, you know, I hold on to memories of the past thing. And if they didn't get the past thing right, then I'm like constantly like, like that thing is too distracting to like continue having a good time with the second sequel, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think too, and maybe this will be my end rant. Sorry for the shortness of this episode. And there's a few more comic book movies we can go into in another episode. Yeah. Part of the reason why this idea came to me is with my line of work, working as a teacher and I walk around campus and I, I worked at a high school for 10 years and I'm in the middle school now. And there's been this, this title shift of culture and in no way is this going to come out as political or anything. It's not, but there's been this, this title shift with pop culture where the stuff that me and Nate were into at, at our age in their early and mid nineties was not accepted as okay by the masses. Right. When I was in eighth grade wearing my X-Men sweatshirt to school, I was there like, I love the X-Men. Yes, I can name most of the characters and their origins and their, you know, real names. Again, we're going to put that in quote marks, not just their their superhero names. And I got made fun of for it. You know, I remember like some kid in eighth grade. What are you into? Like I watched Power Rangers. I was 13 and I was watching the Power Rangers and I got I caught a lot of grief for that. And I love the X-Men cartoon and I was still reading comics and it was not accepted. And 
And as a kid who loved comics, when a Batman Forever would come out or a Batman and Robin or I mean, this is it's cresting that first X-Men movie when things like that would come out. And I'd see it and it did not pay a lot of respect to its source material or its its roots. It was like, I don't like this because I grew up on this thing and you're taking that that you're taking my thing and you're you're distilling it and you're taking the essence and you're trying to make it acceptable to those in mass, which I get it. Making movies is a for-profit business and you need the most people you can get. You need the most set of eyes. You need the most butts and seats, right? And in the past 10 years, 10, 15 years, they figured out how to do that is how to take these storylines from comics and adapt them and make them palatable to the masses and, and turn the emotions on and you won't get attached to these characters. You know, I was sad when, when Tony Stark died in Avengers, right? I've been riding that way for years. And, and when he died, but in the nineties, it was so different because a, it wasn't acceptable by the mainstream to like this stuff. And it was outliers. And that was cool to me because I didn't really feel the need to fit in. So I liked all these things, but then people started taking that thing that was mine and distorting it and changing it and making it more palatable to everybody. And it didn't work. And one of the movies we didn't have a chance to get to talk to talk about that did that was like Spawn. Spawn was a great comic and it was great source material. And if you want to see something that's true to the format and respects it is the HBO animated series from the nineties, but the movie, no, the movie's goofy and Martin Sheen is just there to chew the scenery. And I'm sorry, I'm going on a bit of a rant here, but man, like seeing kids walk around in like Marvel shirts and Batman shirts. And it's like, everybody loves Batman. Yeah, No. Okay. In the nineties, not everybody loved Batman. It was for nerdy kids who went to comic shops, who wore glasses like me and didn't quite fit into that atypical nineties Jinko wearing wallet chain, that whole deal. (laughs) And that's part of what got me rolling on this is it's this is such a golden age and not to take the mic over and sound like kevin smith about it but it's such a golden age with all these movies coming out and these shows like if there's not a marvel movie coming out soon i just turn on disney plus and there's like four marvel shows like where was this stuff when i was a kid all we had was the x-men cartoon and then you'd get some some half baked of a story movie come out every three years it like nate said it did not match your expectations as a fan and it was just this marketing machine and yeah i mean i bought into it when i was a kid but i see the flaws in it now and and you can tell because not all of it holds up right batman forever doesn't hold up to say the dark knight because of the storytelling and the acting and the production um and that's just kind of my rant. What got me thinking, and this is probably a topic we can easily come back to, is just the difference between growing up in the 90s and enjoying this material and having it not be 
so accepted by the mainstream and what it's turned into now, which is like everybody thinks it's cool to be like nerdy and I like comics. And it's like, no, you're just kind of jumping on to something the rest of us were doing 30 years ago. And rant. So I could I could back that up and say how many of those people that kind of rode the wave into seeing a regular comic book film are kind of like me and go like, well, now this is popular and now I'm not interested. So it's like kind of flipping the script every time. That's how I feel about game of Thrones. Right. I mean, or anything. I mean, we, we talked about it before with like uh, popular music, you know, you hear like your, your, you got a favorite band that puts out a song that you can't hear anymore because you, you've already heard on MTV like every morning. And then you get the CD and you're like, I'm not even interested in that song anymore because I've heard it so much. It's that idea of like, well, now we've taken the thing that you said is cool and we've put it in the spotlight and now you don't want to see that anymore. But there's always going to be things that are not accepted by the masses that we all, we also look at and we go, eh, it's not for me. But that could be the next cool thing like coming in like two decades later from now. You know what I mean? So it's it's this constant like as you get older, things change. And I mean, I can think back on <laughs> on classmates. I just wrote down other other types of nerdy people other than the types of like people not into comic books, right? Like there's nerds about sports, like like our our buddy Josh in eighth grade <laughs> who, mm, who and hockey. Who loved bringing up hockey and Gordy Howell and these names of like, and you're like, who, what, like, what is going on? But he never flinched. Like, it was just all about his fandom of a thing, and you know, like his his thing doesn't necessarily turn into a a huge movie universe. But in the same sense, it's like, I guess it's because it doesn't really have anything to do with creativity. It's just about like sports being a realistic thing that just kind of cycles in cycles out. Like there's no big deal uh, to, to make a big, you know, movie about it unless you're like the uh, 1980s Lakers or, you know, something happens huge that you want to make a documentary about. And that one they did about the bulls is pretty good. Oh, the bulls one was great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that's just it. And that's, that's, those are those like little pinpoints in time that like might stick out. But like, other than that, it's like, you know, like, I don't really know how much I want to hear about Wayne Gretzky, like, you know, post his Kings uh, appearances in hockey. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't have that sort of propensity in the same way that I realize that these comic book characters change in every iteration as well. So it's like, if I miss one, I don't really feel like I'm missing off on, on, on much. And that feeling kind of like snowballs until I really don't care about anything that, <laughs> that Marvel puts out. You know what I mean? It's, that's all it is. And I love the creativity. I love the fact that they're willing to, you know, play with people like uh, Smashing Pumpkins and everything on soundtracks. And I think that part's cool because I love music, but I don't know. It's just a, it's a funny thing that like when you grow up on these movies and you see, you know, different superheroes come out, like which ones you attach yourself to in the same way that kids are doing now with like anime. I mean, there's like little, little anime series with like one, one uh, season of a series and somebody's like a super huge fan of it. And, you know, I talked to younger fans in their twenties who grew up on, I don't know, SpongeBob and later into like Naruto and, all these other things that like I just never got a hold of and they can't explain it. You know, they just get into the art style, the, 
the feel, the whatever, in the same way that a Batman exists. So I just sort of like throw my hands up and go, eh, like, <laughs> like it's all in a great, I don't know, creative world. So, but I do, I do love the nineties for the fact that it was like the last era where we got a bunch of hodgepodge of different characters without a universe behind it. Right. That really was just like a machine that like kept cranking them out. Like, you know, okay, what's next on this deadline? Oh, uh, uh, Dr. Strange. Okay, cool. I hope that's good. And then release Dr. Strange. And then if it sucks, oh, well, there's going to be a Dr. Strange two years from now to like to make up for it. It just becomes like a kind of worthless existence, (laughs) like of, of films anymore, like where you just keep cranking them out. So that's just, again, I guess my rant on the entire thing. So, um, so this has been a fun, you know, just sort of ranting episode about like some of the uh, stuff that came out on in the nineties. And I'm sure we'll have very many others because it's always fun to talk about the old days. So yeah. Um, you got anything to wrap up on or we're just going to well, see it here. Yeah. Uh, I've been putting the socials in the show notes. Yeah. So you can find us all over the interwebs on Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, Instagram, you so, got those questions in, those responses. We want to hear from you. Topics. See if, see if we're on the right track. See if we're on the wrong track. I want to hear it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my name is Nate, and this has been Boys in the 90s. And I'm Bob. It's the car, right? Chicks dig the car. <laughs>